candy canes, Christmas trees, gingerbread, wrapping paper, tinsel, and mistletoe. Jingle bells, reindeer, Santa Claus, Bethlehem, a manger, a star, candlelight, hot cocoa, and warm cookies. Man, those are the words that make you think about Christmas, right? Let me tell you a word that we never talk about at Christmas. Satan. Happy holidays. I mean, right? Like now when I go to my mama's house for Christmas, she usually has deviled eggs, but that's as close as we get. Can't beat Gigi's deviled eggs. But no, man, we want to talk about happy things at Christmas, like the, the twinkle in a child's eye on a wintry Christmas morn, right? But we don't want to talk about Satan. But the interesting thing is that Satan is one of the primary reasons, a key character in why Christmas happened in the first place. And it's right there. And one of the old Christmas carols we sing every holiday season. God rest, ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. God rest you, merry gentlemen, is one of the oldest Christmas carols that we sing uh, every season. In fact, it's so old, we, not even are, we don't even really know who the author of it is, who wrote it. It was written at least in the 1500s and maybe before uh, it is the, the English melody that's a part of it now that's in a minor mode. And you know, when you sing it, it kind of has this, this kind of this, this minor, uh, you can almost hear the medieval times kind of in it, in the, even the tune. Uh, it has been uh, identified with the song since it was recorded by James Narris uh, in the 1700s. And it's, it's, in fact, it was mentioned... And some of you maybe realize this because you've, uh, you've read it, you're so familiar with it. It's actually referenced in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And it has been around a long time. It, in fact, it had, it had a title in the 17 and 1800s. It wasn't even called God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. It was called The Old Christmas Carol. Even in the 17 and 1800s, it was The Old Christmas Carol. But it's rich with theology. Do you hear what... I hear in it, don't be dismayed. At Christmas, we remember that Christ was born to save us from Satan's power because we were all gone astray. Well, that's not exactly the Christmas story from Luke 2. That's straight out of the book of Romans. And that's kind of what's interesting about a lot of these Christmas songs that we sing is that they're not just interpreting what happened at Christmas, they're interpreting what happened because of Christmas. Simply, Christmas changed things. Christmas changed things forever. We look at Christmas sometimes, and we have just kind of taken that it's just, we, we just think of Christmas in a Hallmark movie scene. 
That's it, that it's just a baby born in a manger, but it was more than that. It was a Savior being born into the world. And Jesus came for more than just a nice story for us to enjoy every winter. Christmas marked the beginning of the end for Satan. And make no mistake, this baby came to take down the powers of evil and darkness. This baby came to stop the forces of chaos in the world. Chaos where there are tornadoes and hurricanes and cancer and pandemics. This baby came to take it all on and to take over. But he did uh, have to come onto the scene. In the very beginning, humans had a relationship with God. And we walked with God and talked with God. There's a story in the book of Genesis about it. It's, 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 it's a story of God has this incredible relationship with humanity of Adam and Eve. It says he, he walks with them in the cool of the day. I mean, like, could you imagine taking a walk with God? And then something happened. Something entered the picture. We created this barrier between us and God through something called sin. And that literally put this wall up between us and God. And all of a sudden, God was behind the wall, behind this barrier between, uh, between us, uh, behind this barrier between us and God. And uh, even in, when God told the Jewish people how to build a temple to worship him, the temple was a physical, e even in the temple was this physical representation of this spiritual reality. And I've, I've taught on this before, but if, if you're new and maybe you've never heard this, that in the temple there was actually a room where the presence of God resided in the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the Holy of holies, and you would never like go into that room just kind of willy nilly to just like get a peek at the Ark of the Covenant. You would die because God's presence is holy and perfect. In fact, the prophet Isaiah wrote one time when he just got a glimpse of God's presence, God was doing this for Isaiah, and, and Isaiah said, He didn't say, Oh, this is exciting. Do you know what Isaiah said? Woe is me. Woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Like, whoa, I don't, I don't know that I want to see. So God set up this physical representation of this spiritual reality where God was behind this curtain. And once a year, the high priest went in to make a sacrifice for the people. But it wasn't just that. God gave a glimpse to figure out, okay, well, if God's behind this curtain, God gave this glimpse of how to know him. It's called the law. And the law gave glimpses of God. The law was perfect. The law was holy. The law was good. Of course, the problem is, like, you, would, you ever done this? Like, you do pretty good on Monday, and then by Tuesday, you're like, I followed the law that day. Send on Tuesday, right? I'm better on Wednesday, right? I'm good on Wednesday. I was nice, and then I said something mean to my coworker on Thursday, right? You ever done that? Like, no. <laughs> You're like, good one day, but you can't do it. It's, I mean, the law, it gave us glimpses of God. Like, and when the people would follow the law and that relationship was right, but then we would revert and flip right back to sin. 
And it wasn't that the law was bad. The law was holy. The law was righteous. The problem is us. We're the problem. We're the ones that's wrong. And so, this is the world that Jesus is born into. This is the world in which God became human. A world that had this flipping back and forth, that had a law that gave a glimpse of who God is, but a law that just reminded us that we can't ever quite measure up, that we, we can't fulfill the law. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, if you got your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be a little bit in Romans 5, and then we're going to flip over to Romans 8 because I think these are exactly whoever wrote God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. I think this is exactly the passages they were writing when they were, uh, they were reading when they were writing a Christmas song. This world that had this sin sickness and this lawbreaker kind of mentality, this is the world Jesus was wrote into, and in in Romans 5, 6, Paul writes this. You see, at just the right time. Oh, man. It happened at just the right time. It, that reminds me of another favorite Christmas song. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. At just the right time. A weary world rejoice. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born this Christmas day. At just the right time. Paul goes on to say this, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. We were, we were unable to do anything. See, we tried, right? We are like, I try to do the law, and I was like, really good for a week. And I try to find all God's commandments, but I inevitably revert back to sin, I am powerless to do anything to have this right relationship with God, and as much as I try, I can't quite do it. I see what it looks like, but if there would be a way that God, that there would be another way for righteousness, and that is what happened at Christmas when God came from behind the wall of sin to be God with us. God with us, God present with us, God born in us. But God doesn't just arrive on the scene in Jesus. Paul says that he came to die. While we were powerless to do anything, he came on the scene as God with us, but solved the problem of the sin and the law, fulfilled the law and defeated sin and death. While we were powerless to do anything about that wall, anything about that barrier, Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul kind of explains how ludicrous this is. All right? How ludicrous this is. And this is the way he asks it. Paul says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might 
possibly dare to die. So I want you to think of a good person, okay? Are you thinking of someone? Like your grandma, an uncle, a Sunday school teacher, maybe your youth pastor growing up? Like, are you thinking of somebody, a really good person? This means yes. Okay, you got it? You got it. You got it. You're like, surely you've known one, <laughs> right? So would you die for him? Ooh. Like, depends on the circumstances. You're like, I'd die for my family. None of them are good, but I still do it, right? <laughs> so that's what some of you are thinking. I know it. I know it. Don't look to the side. I know uh, I'd die for my family, but I, I, I don't know if I would die for a good person. Man, that's some kind of sacrifice. I, my oldest cousin, I'll never forget, and she was, she was a good number of years older than me. I'm still pretty close. She's probably one of the cousins that I'm closest to. I'll never forget her wedding because I was just still a kid, and she had already graduated from college, and that was like such a big deal, Kelly's wedding. She was the first grandbaby in, in the Carter family. That's how I got my name, Carter. It's my mama's maiden name, to get married. And uh, shortly after her wedding, her husband, Roland, at a very young age, needed a kidney transplant, had kidney failure. And uh, so he got on the donor list, the wait list. Some of you have had to experience that or have had loved ones that have gone through that and what is stressful. But it turned out that his sister was a candidate to give him one of her kidneys. You know, you have two, and you can give one away because of their blood type. And I'll never forget that, just that, like when I heard that as a kid, that his sister was going to give her brother one of her kidneys. And I thought, wow, what a sacrifice. That, like, would you even do that for a good person? Not that you're going to die for them, but it's going to make life a little more com Would you even do that for a good person? You're like, uh. You see how ludicrous? Paul's like, this is ludicrous what Jesus did. Because Jesus didn't die for good people. Who did Jesus die for? An ungodly person. For ungodly people. That's... That's us. I mean, we can't even wrap our heads around sacrificing something for good people, but definitely not an ungodly person. And to Jesus, we are all ungodly people because of this sin. We're all ungodly people because of this reality. We are all under the power of this sin. And this is how Paul says it in the next verse. Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were powerless to do anything about this sin that separates us from God, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Boy, in the Garden of Eden, Satan must have thought he'd won. He must have thought he'd won. For thousands of years, he must have thought he'd won. The power of sin was so prevalent over the world. God has kept, had kept his word. Death reigned as punishment for sin. And that sin sickness that plagued all of humanity, it must have been so thick that morning in Bethlehem. And that curse that plagued even Adam and Eve and through the ages, 
It's running through our veins too, you know. Because we're sinners. You haven't just sinned. You're a sinner. I am a sinner. Like that's it. Like I am incapable. I am incapable of of doing good. Sure, I do some good things. Sure, I have some moments I follow the law of God. I have some moments that I love my neighbor as myself. I have some moments where I put others before me, and then, man, I blink my eye, and I have moments where I put myself first. Like, sure, I do some good things, but deep down, this sin is running through my veins. I am a sinner. You are. Are a sinner. It is part of my identity as a human. And this is the thing that we have to repent of. That this, this thing that's running through our veins, this, this sin. And as you grow in your faith, you're going to study God's word and you're going to figure out that you were sinning in ways you didn't even know were sins. You were sinning in ways you didn't even think were sins. You, you were doing things you didn't even know it was, you didn't even know it was against God's word. But here, but this is the key confession. And Christmas offers some good news. Christmas was the birth of this reality. God sent a sinless person for sinful people. That night in Bethlehem, that's what was born. God sent a sinless person for sinful people. Paul writes at just the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ got, died for sinners. But I've got a feeling the proclamation that began at Christmas and crescendoed at Easter isn't always the loudest voice in our lives. In fact, I think many of us haven't lived into the promise of an old Christmas carol. And we're still under the power of Satan. He's like, what are you talking about? Some of you would say, yeah, Carter. <laughs> You didn't need to remind me that I'm a sinner. Right? Because you've got a voice that is so loud. It is so loud. A voice that's telling you that you are no good, that you are broken. A voice from Satan that is telling you that you are unlovable, unredeemable, unforgivable, unfixable, unusable. And sometimes we have even had people that we thought loved us say awful things to us about how we're no good and how we're worthless. You have had coaches and teachers and parents and friends and bosses and exes say terrible things to you and about you and you believed every word of it. You're under this power. You've got a big mistake that you made in your past, and you feel the weight of it. You betrayed friends and family. You lied to people you loved. You chose selfishness over others. You hurt people you said you cared about. And the power of Satan, the father of sin, the father of lies, has told you that this disqualifies you. It's a dark, heavy cloud to get away from. 500 years ago, someone that we don't know sat down to write a Christmas carol. And he wrote that there was a Savior born in Bethlehem sent to save us all from Satan's power, even though we've all gone astray. Later in Romans, Paul clarifies it in this way in chapter 8. 
He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? These voices, right? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This God who sent his son from Bethlehem to go to Calvary, who sent his son to go to a cattle stall and to end up with a crown of thorns. This God who gave him up for us all, how have we not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't listen to those voices. God is for you. You're not unredeemable and unlovable and unfixable. God is for you. That's why we say around here that God is for you and we're for Birmingham. Because God gave his son for you and for every single person in our city. But that's not the end of the story. Because of this reality, listen to this, these questions Paul asked. Listen to these questions. Who, then, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you hear that? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Paul keeps asking these questions. Who? Who's saying these things to you? Who are you listening to? Who does Satan think he is to tell you those things? And you're like, oh, Carter, you don't know what I've done. Paul says, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for you. Satan is telling God, oh man, you don't know the mistakes she made when she was 17, when she was 19. And Jesus is like, Dad, don't worry about it. She's cool. I died for her. Satan's like, oh, you don't know what a terrible person he was at 25 in his first marriage. He did some awful things. And Jesus is like, Dad, don't worry. He's good. I died for him. I died from, oh, you don't know about all the things they think about at night when nobody else is listening and nobody else is watching. You don't know what's going on in their minds, the awful things they think about other people. And Jesus is like, don't worry about, Dad, they're good. I died for them. Who does he think he is? And then Satan's like, well, they haven't all accepted you yet. And Jesus says, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, how can you work on it? You're up here in heaven. Oh, you don't know. I've sent my church. I've sent my church. You see, I got a church in Vestavia Hills. I got a church in Fairfield. You see, I got a church in Costa Rica. You see, I got a church in Tanzania. I got church. I'm everywhere, Satan. And you're up here being able to do this to God. Who do you think you are? Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? The Father is listening to the Son who is interceding for you on your behalf. And then Paul gets really descriptive about something. Really descriptive. And you're like, okay, 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 I get it. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. But it's like Paul knows there's another layer to the lies that Satan tells. Paul says, Sometimes it's not a who, it's a what. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, Paul says. In other words, what Paul is saying is that sometimes it's really easy to believe the lie that when something bad happens in your life, that God is no longer for you and no longer on your side. You ever had that happen? Your grandma dies. You start hearing this voice. You see there? God's deserted you. You get a diagnosis. You get an illness. You hear this voice. You see there? God doesn't love you. A relationship goes sideways. You hear this voice. See there? God doesn't want you to be happy. You lose your job. See there? God doesn't, God's not even trying to help you. You see there? You see, here's one of the biggest lies of the devil. The devil wants to convince you that Christmas didn't even happen and that God isn't with you after all. You go through a hard time, that's what the devil wants to convince you of. Guess Christmas never happened. See there, uh, he's not Emmanuel. He's not with you. And Paul says, you know what? There is a better truth. Paul says, no. We go through hard times. We go through a bad relationship. We lose our job. We have a death of a family member. We suffer. Paul says, no. Listen, this is the truth. In all these things, we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are conquerors through him who loved us. We can conquer anything because of Christ's love. None of those things. And it's, we all suffer. And I want to tell you right now in Arkansas and Kentucky and, and Illinois and Tennessee, God is right there in the rubble. He is with them in the rubble. He is working in the body of Christ to serve people, give people homes, give water, give people shelter. God is with us, and we, no matter what we go through, none of those things change God's love for us and what he has done in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wants to say, like, rest, so rest and be merry. Gentlemen and ladies, remember. Christ, not just a baby. Christ, not just a child. Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day. And then Paul puts the exclamation point on it. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor what? Demons. Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Jesus came as God with us, died as God for us, and lives in God in us. And brothers and sisters, nothing can take that from us. Nothing can take it from us. Christmas is about Jesus coming to be with us in our sin. Jesus died for us 
for our forgiveness. And he lives as God in us through the resurrection. And there's nothing in all creation, there's nothing that can ever take that from us. Nothing can take that from us. A love story that began in Bethlehem can never be unwritten no matter what you're going through. The power of Satan, sin, and darkness, nothing has power over you. The lies that you have heard about who you are and how unredeemable you are and how unforgivable you are, nothing can stop the love of God already displayed for you from Bethlehem all the way to Calvary. Nothing. That's the story that was written in the city of David in a manger. And that's why the angels sang. And that's why the shepherds worshiped. And that's why Mary treasured all those things in her heart. And that's why the wise man brought gifts. That's a tiding of comfort and joy. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son while we were yet sinners at just the right time. Lord, I want to pray for brothers and sisters in this room right now that feel, feel the weight of their sin and that are still hearing the voices of the father of lies about how they are unlovable, unfixable, unredeemable, unforgivable. And Lord, I, I, I would just pray that they would hear your voice going, who, who is that? <laughs> who? Listen, child. I pray they would hear your voice saying, listen, nothing, nothing can separate you. Nothing. God, everyone in this room has a whole bunch of somethings in our past. Thank you for sending your son as a perfect baby, a perfect man, and a sacrificial lamb to make all our somethings nothing. In Jesus' name.